Hello and welcome to Banking Transformed. I'm your host, Jim Maroos, owner and CEO of the Digital Banking Report and co-publisher of the Financial Brand. Founded in 2006, Tinkoff is Russia's largest online challenger bank, offering a huge array of services, including mobile, personal and business accounts, investment and insurance products, as well as being Russia's second largest credit card organization. Tinkoff also is diversified well beyond financial services, including travel, ticketing and booking services, all available through its lifestyle super app. This expansive array of services has led to profits of over $500 million in 2019, with a current customer base of over 12 million customers. Tinkoff consistently wins awards, being the best digital-only bank, serving customers remotely as well as online and a cloud-based call center. TCS Group also has a proprietary nationwide network of representatives that are needed to open accounts. Our guest for the show is Oliver Hughes, CEO of Tinkoff. In this episode, we discuss how the combination of an innovative business model, a strong team, and a recognized brand can yield success anywhere in the world. Welcome to the show, Oliver. First of all, I want to thank you for joining us today to share the origins of Tinkoff and how your organization has become one of the largest and most successful challenger banks in the world with one of the most extensive product lines. Uh, while many of our listeners may not be familiar with Tinkoff, your organization has often been named the world's best digital banking organization, with you also receiving rewards for your leadership at Tinkoff. Our listeners may also be surprised that you don't quite have a Russian accent. So to start off, could you share a little bit with our audience about your origins, how you started off at Tinkoff, and Tinkoff's journey since its beginning? It's great to be on the show, so thanks very much indeed for having us, Jim. A little bit about myself then. So my name's uh, Oliver Hughes, uh, which doesn't sound very Russian. I've been in Moscow for 20 years. Oh my gosh. My family are Russian-speaking. My wife's Russian from Chukotka, next to uh, the US, uh, next to Alaska on the other side of Russia. And uh, I've been absolutely loving it uh, all the time I've been here. I actually did a, a Russian degree a few years ago, so I've got a long connection with, uh, with Russia. But it's always been a bit of a mystery to my parents as to why I took this Russian path. And I don't know why, there's something cosmic happened and here I am. So I actually came out to, to Moscow to work back in 2000. And I opened the office for Visa with, uh, with colleagues, eventually became head of Visa in Russia. And uh, at that point, I was pitching for the business against MasterCard for a new startup back in 2006 called Tinkoff. And the founder, uh, serial entrepreneur, Oleg Tinkoff, basically called me up after the meeting and said, uh, I'm looking for someone to head up a business, do you fancy it? And I didn't think very long because it looked very interesting. I knew the market was right for it and over I went. So Tinkoff's 14 years old, Tinkoff, the, uh, the group. We started as a, as a bank. So we were fully licensed bank from day one, but we actually started operations as a credit card company, wholesale credit card monoline. It's not a word you hear much around these days, uh, monoline, but in those days, there was quite a few. And obviously, the, the global financial crisis came along a year later after, after we launched commercial operations. And it caused us to make a, a few changes to our operating model because um, the wholesale market dried up. So we started taking deposits online. And we were the first financial institution to do anything online in Russia. From there, it grew into this big business that it is today. So we have 12 million customers. We span most of the financial verticals. We have an online insurer. We've built an online travel agent. We've gone into ticketing. So we've gone well well beyond finance and into what we call lifestyle digital services. And we're growing like there's, there's no tomorrow at the moment. So we, we've had a, a good year, despite obviously all the troubles that this year has had to throw at everybody, unfortunately. And um, 
uh, we're, we're thoroughly enjoying it. You mentioned about the expansion, and that's one thing that's truly amazing is that the overall expansion of Tinkoff Bank has been nothing short of amazing. As you said, you, you're into insurance, you're into investments, you're into non-financial services. What have been the biggest opportunities and challenges you've seen in building such a large financial organization in Russia? When you're building out a, a business, yeah, so, so we, we, we had focus on one business, which was credit cards initially, then added deposits and debit cards for funding. Uh, but it was pretty focused, uh, tightly run and, and, and compact sort of bijou operation. And then from around 2013, 2014, we embarked on this big diversification. And, and as you said, we added all sorts of different things. So it's, it's important to, to mention them in the context of the answer. So we built a, a transactional business for small and medium business, SME. We built a brokerage business, which is now the largest broker in Russia. We built also di different lending business lines, including collateralized lending. We uh, built an online merchant acquiring business and have now become uh, definitely the third, maybe even the second largest merchant acquirer in Russia. Um, so that's an internet payment uh, aggregation business as well. Uh, we built the lifestyle services. <clears throat> so we built all these different verticals out. An online insurer, uh, a virtual mobile operator. So with every business line that we've built, it's obviously uh, given us our uh, new operational challenges. We have to hire people. We have to make sure that we build the operational divisions that go with that, because in Russia, outsourcing doesn't really work very well. And so we actually uh, moved away from an outsourced model from basically the first year of operations back in 2007 and built our own platforms everywhere. So that's the IT side, uh, so we have to build the tech stack and we have to hire the people to do the logistics, servicing, whatever it might be. That's a bit of a challenge <clears throat> when you're ramping up very quickly and then scaling, as it is in every business, quite obvious thing. But um, you know, sometimes in, in a country that's the size of Russia, uh, with the geographical peculiarities that it has, so like a very large distance between cities, uh, obviously that throws up some, some additional logistical challenges. I think the, the, the most important challenge was, was keeping discipline on Focus on the bottom line, discipline on delivery, tight execution, making sure that we were giving that excellent customer experience uh, for which we're famous in Russia, without it all falling apart as we as we grew grew very quickly in a, in a five year period. And we we seem to have done a, a pretty good job of it so far. You know, you mentioned most of your all your IT systems have been built in house and been mentioned this set. Yeah, and and seventy percent of your headquarters staff are IT specialists. Do you also entertain partnerships with non-fintech or fintech providers out there? Do you ever buy uh, innovations or is it mostly developed from within? There's a couple of dimensions to the answer. We are indeed basically a tech company with a banking license. So if you look at our core staff, um, and that's around 4,000 people, 3,000 of whom work in Moscow, 1,000 work in our um, development centers all the way around Russia. We have 10 of them. Uh, the... About 80% are tech-related stuff. So it's our data scientists, our analysts, our technology guys, design, architecture, and, and obviously the uh, the developers, the engineers themselves. So we, we've, we've built um, an organization which is attractive as an employer to these kind of people. And we have uh, a load of probably about 1,000 people from the leading physics and mathematics institutes in Russia. And so we're, we we're able to do everything in-house. We, we build our own systems in-house. Uh, we we design our own processes, we build our front end, all of our interface in-house, all of our data management in-house, so, so all of that's a, a completely tink-off. But that doesn't mean to say that we won't partner, uh, and we partner extensively. So we partner with all the leading tech companies in Russia. 
Uh, we partner with the leading e-com companies, classifieds, um, software development companies, of whom there's quite a few. So obviously Russia is very famous for its, uh, its tech in general. So we're, we're very uh, fortunate to be, to be in this market. And we will we'll partner in terms of payments, in terms of development, in terms of experiments, whatever, whatever it is that we're doing with a very long list of, of different partners. And we, we have the ability to work with them. We have things to offer them. And we're actually very fortunate to be able to be independent and, and therefore we will work unfettered with whoever we like. In Russia, it's one of the few countries I haven't been to yet. And it was going to be a country I was going to be visiting this year, whether if I got a speaking engagement or not, because there's been so much told to me about how beautiful it is and, and how different the environment is, you know, to, to bring me up to date, but also our listeners. How is the marketplace for innovation, IT talent, and even how the market is for government regulation within the, the area? for a challenger bank is it is it tough to find talent is it easy is it is innovation part of the inner thought process of people from russia and, and then you know has the government been uh, willing to accept most of the challenges and most of the changes you've tried to make within the bank sure so that's a, a pretty big question <laughs> is it a good place to come and visit absolutely so we're, we're looking forward to seeing you here jim as soon as uh, international travel is open it's, uh, it's an absolutely great place to, to be in with, with season. Uh, I come from the north of England where we don't have seasons. It's always green and wet, basically. <laughs> in Russia, season is the season and then you get a distinct end. And it's, uh, it's a wonderful place to be in terms of uh, you know, sporting activities and cross-country skiing and all that kind of thing, mountain climbing. Anyway, so, so Russia's great. Uh, in terms of the business environment, obviously it has its challenges like any uh, uh, country these days. And there's a, a certain geopolitical angle there, which uh, which obviously sometimes gets under the wheels of, of business and development. But in general, people, when they come to Russia, are, are bowled over as to how vibrant uh, the landscape is, the business uh, environment, because we have amazing tech talent. I mean, amazing tech talent. There's amazing entrepreneurs here. There's a, a, a new generation of managers who've come up over the last 15, 20 years, um, and are still coming up, obviously, they're bubbling up all the time, who are world-class. We have some of the best designers in the world um, in terms of interface. And so there's uh, there's an amazing laboratory that's going on in Russia um, with, with some fantastic homegrown tech companies. So I'm, you may be familiar with names like Yandex, Avito, Kaspersky, uh, Mail.ru, um, Avia Sales, and Tinkoff is, is, is one of this um, ecosystem of interesting companies, and there's tons and tons more. So we, we have an amazing talent pool here, uh, especially on the, uh, on the engineering side, uh, which enables uh, Russian companies to do all sorts of things. But it's also a walled garden. So, so in some ways, the geopolitical situation has actually, if you like, uh, made Russia a country that's, that comes often at the bottom of the list for international expansion, for your proverbial Amazons and whatever, uh, apples of the world. So obviously we, we, we have them here on the consumer side, so they, they, they sell our products, although Amazon isn't actually in Russia, but obviously Facebook and, and Google and Apple are. But they have a, a smaller market share. So we have the equivalents of Google, which is Yandex, Facebook, which is Contact here, Etc. all the way down the list. Uh, so we have e-commerce companies. We're going through an e-commerce boom at the moment uh, with uh, Azon and Wildberries and various other guys, Yandex Market. So it's a bit of a walled garden, which means that the, the tech scene is, you'd recognize it, but it's a bit different. <laughs> and so and when you come to financial technology, to fintech, um, there's an interesting thing happening in Russia, which hasn't happened elsewhere, which is financial platforms. So Tinkoff is one of them. It's 
Burbank is another, who are uh, the largest owned state bank in Russia, largest state owned bank, sorry, um, who are building out an ecosystem from the financial core, as opposed to what's happened everywhere else in the world, which is an e-com company or, I don't know, a search platform or a, um, a social network adding a financial services bolt on and then growing that out. Uh, so there's interesting things happening in Russia. It's a, a very, very exciting place to be at the moment. It's exciting. It's, it's a challenging time, obviously. We mentioned it. And, and there's been an impact of the pandemic, especially on fintech companies, but not necessarily bad. I, I believe you said earlier that your your growth was, has been fairly robust since COVID. But what other things have changed your business model? Maybe maybe some of the innovations you've done that have been brought on by the pandemic. And, and tell us a little bit about the growth in the last uh, nine months. So obviously every every market has its own peculiarities and, uh, and Russia's <laughs> no exception. So there's, there's regulatory peculiarities, consumer peculiarities, which all leave their stamp on the way the market's evolved in terms of financial technology. Um, so the fintech scene is pretty different. One of the things in Russia, which is required by law, is a face-to-face meeting, which sounds a bit bizarre. So we have to have a physical KYC with a passport check by a person in order to open a bank account. And the reason why I'm saying this is because it's it's also pandemic-related. This sounds like a bit of a barrier to doing business and a barrier to to technological innovation, although the central bank in Russia, Russia is very, very progressive and they've done some amazing, actually I would call them disruptive things over the last few years. But we still have this KYC anachronism. And so we have 5,000 representatives in the field doing 50,000 meetings every day. (laughs) This is our new onboarding. But nonetheless, we used the pandemic to see if there were things that we could do around the edges to try and uh, make this a bit slicker and basically speed up the process and improve the UX. We rolled out um, a virtual card, which obviously doesn't sound very innovative. But if you think about a virtual card in the context of having to do a a physical KYC, (laughs) um, then obviously it puts a new spin on it. So that's something which has given us a bit of um, incremental growth during the pandemic time. And also mobile onboarding. So because of the KYC requirements, it's impossible to do mobile onboarding that you see in the US, UK and various other markets around the world, which has given some of the fintech players this huge growth over the last uh, five, six years. But we've, we've worked out how to do mobile onboarding by re-engineering all of our process and this and be given a, a, a big uh, kickstart by the, uh, the the pandemic. So all sorts of stuff going on. Um, on. The list is pretty long. Obviously, we've done things in lifestyle. For example, we switched all of our offline services that were sold digitally to online. So this is online uh, home education, home fitness, wow. entertainment for the kids, streaming, all the stuff that you can imagine. So there's been tons, of go- tons going on. And actually, I would say that our... Uh, time to market has, has actually been shortened by the pandemic and sitting at home, everybody, and, and uh, basically dreaming up new products and services for our, our growing customer base. And we've actually become, I would say, more tight-knit in terms of our creative juices. So it's been an interesting time. You mentioned your distribution is is unique in that you have couriers and you have representatives countrywide that that help you onboard but you also have a chatbot supported customer care unit you you do online as well as mobile you know you have all these channels going on how do you track and monitor the customer journey through these channels and the way that they want to interact and the way and kind of services they want how do you how do you manage the, the overall customer journey especially since your your product is pretty much a lifestyle brand and meant to actually be not something that stands out there as a separate unit, but actually be integrated within a person's life. Absolutely. So we we have um, a a number of different business lines. So basically these are products 
in different areas, not just in finance, as, as I mentioned earlier. And each of these different business lines has a, a set of different customer acquisition channels. So in some acquisition channels, it's mainly web-based. In others, it's entirely entirely mobile, so it's mobile only. For example, in um, in Tinkoff Investments, which is this brokerage platform we built uh, three or four years ago. So if you think Robinhood, but better, in Russia, that's our investments platform. In other platforms, we have some offline distribution as well uh, through partners or through our own uh, physical network of the smart couriers that we were mentioning earlier. Obviously, we don't have any branches. So we, we have tons of different channels. We try and make the customer experience as interesting and as quick and as convenient as possible everywhere. But obviously, the, uh, the, the, the process is a little bit different in each of the different sub-channels. As soon as they're onboarded, and depending on the product, but most customers are coming through our Tinkoff Black product, which is um, a mobile app and a current account and a debit card, basically. So if you think, I don't know, Revolut or Chime, uh, those kind of uh, stories yep. that you're seeing, New Bank, uh, the, the, the similarities. We've been doing this now for nine years. This is quite quite an old, a large product. So we have 14 million customers that have come through this product for us. So they're coming through this. They immediately, obviously, install the, the, the mobile app and do everything through the mobile app. And in the mobile app, this is where we have some interesting stuff. So we have a chatbot, as you'd expect. Most of our servicing is done through chat. We have a, a voice assistant, which we've called Oleg, after our founder. So you can actually do voice commands and uh, basically do your, your transfers to your mum and your mobile payment, top top up and your utility payments and whatever it might be, ask for your balance, uh, but also uh, stuff beyond basic financial services. You can do all that through Oleg, the voice assistant. We have a storyboard, so we're the first financial institution in the world to do um, an Instagram-type storyboard, uh, which is based on our profile of you in terms of your behavior, so your travel, your geolocation, um, also your transactional behavior, uh, even your affinity group within the Tinkoff ecosystem. We target information um, in terms of local events, uh, user tips, uh, general financial advice, um, some offers, cashback offers, that kind of thing, what's on at the cinema, etc. cetera. Uh, so all that's, that goes through stories. Uh, and then we have more stuff in, in, in the pipeline in terms of recommendation engines, which I suspect we'll talk about a little bit later because that's um, the, the basically the vision for the future. It's consistently delivered with a very high level of service, which we've all, always prided ourselves on, which is why we get these accolades, um, uh, because we really do have the, uh, the best service in the market. But the reason why do we do this? It's not just because we lo love our customers, we want them to be happy. That's kind of the obvious part of the answer. But the happier our customers are, the higher their NPS, and the more likely they are to tell somebody else. So you get this viral effect, which means the next customer that comes on board comes in at a lower cost of acquisition. And so we, we have this viral, viral effect um, in terms of our debit product, for example, or the payment stuff that we have, brokerage, even insurance. And that's a very important part of the growth story. So you mentioned about the decision engines and the use of machine learning data analytics to drive consumers to help them make the right decisions because you offer such a wide array of services. You know, what what role does data, machine learning, AI, uh, decision engines all play within Tinkoff when you're looking at you know, your, your, your goal is to make it so you can onboard as many services as possible with a, a consumer to, to try to identify who they are and, and what their mission is, their goals are, and then to try to meet them. How do you do that with so many different product lines? And uh, what, what is your strategy with regard to data analytics? 
So basically, we, we have a platform inside, um, which is basically a group of people. Well, loosely speaking, we call it our AI team. So it's almost like a center of expertise within, within Tinkoff group. So Tinkoff split into business verticals, as I mentioned earlier. So we're a very flat organization, very distributed, with shared infrastructure, but full stack business lines so that, that um, all the guys who run their businesses can uh, roll out products and services very quickly to market, uh, do all sorts of tests and experiments the whole time. The ones that are successful, they scale them up. And so w- one of the things that they will be using in terms of this shared infrastructure is, is research and development from the AI and machine learning guys. I say it's not just machine learning. It's, it's all about um, use of data to drive insight in the business as well as biometrics, for example. So we've developed our own voice authentication system. We've got face recognition in our own ATM network, et cetera, et cetera. So there's all sorts of stuff going on, lots of different experiments and actually things that we've scaled up. So the different business leaders, different business lines, will take what they need, test it, and if it works, then they'll roll it out further. So for example, one of the implementations of these technologies is in customer acquisition, in credit cards. Yeah? So we want to do mm-hmm. targeted customer acquisition to make sure that we're targeting relevant offers to the right person at the right time and not wasting money with a shotgun approach, um, which increases cost of acquisition of customers because they're not going to respond or they're going to respond and not utilize the credit card. So that's an obvious classical kind of credit card funnel management um, approach. And that's all informed by data. So we need this data in order to, to, to do the targeting properly. Portfolio management, for example, um, I don't know, in point-of-sale loans or car loans, we manage the portfolio by taking data from whatever sources we can in order to manage risk, manage limits, manage cross-sell, as well as risk management is funnel management. In the brokerage business, it will be um, robo advising. So it's, um, it's making targeted offers based on the rich profile that we have on our investors who tend also to be our um, depositors or current account customers. In small business, uh, it'll be AML management to make sure that we're not going to fall foul of any requirements of the central bank because we've got 600,000 small and medium business accounts, etc., etc. So we, we use it everywhere. But if we, if we think what this is going to look like in the future, yeah, so where's this all taking us to? Um, we have this concept of AI bank. We've actually registered this brand, AI bank. So what, what's AI bank in our thinking? And we already have a lot of this in place, but we we need to do a bit more to join it up. So you basically take all of the hygiene type transactions into the background. So this is utility payments, is regular transfers, all the stuff that's really boring. You you forget it, you you, you you might um, incur penalties on the other side or whatever. We automate that. So we we know, because we have the primary account, we know what you do, we know what you buy, we know where you go, and we 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 have the luxury of being able to automate that, take it into the background so you don't need to worry about it. And we take into the foreground all the stuff that gives you endorphins that you enjoy. So what's this? Stuff related to the kids, family stuff, travel, shopping, entertainment, sporting events, useful content, loyalty, so cashback. We have some very rich cashback programs. And we use the profile that we built up on you in order to drive relevant, timely content to you to increase your engagement with us to make sure that you're in our interface as the primary interface as much as possible. enables us to monetize you. So it's not just altruism, but it's also good experience. And we'll provide you with, through recommendation engines, 
uh, all sorts of different, you know, people like you are doing or buying or going to, you know, it's a familiar concept, but it's not something that's been done in finance anywhere. And it's actually quite difficult to do because it's a, it's a relatively low frequency type service. You know, you can't transfer to your, your mum a hundred times a day. Whereas you can, you know, buy coffee and uh, and buy clothes and uh, order stuff from Amazon and your groceries, whatever, actually with, with high regularity, uh, high frequency. So there's, it's more difficult to do in finance, but it is possible and we're doing it. And, uh, and that's our vision of the future. It's quite an interesting uh, direction in which we're going. Your bank is already going in that direction. So that conversion to AI bank, it, it's almost taking place in real time right now sure. in the way you're doing banking. But it, it, as you said, it takes it to the next level and it changes the positioning of financial services to truly be just a functional thing that works in the background to facilitate everything else. Part of it is this, is this functional thing, engine going off in the background, um, to take away the headaches of, of all the, you know, the, the, the drudgery of, of financial services. But it's also being an assistant to you in things that create value for you as an individual. So it's how better to manage your money, to invest, to say, to transact, to get loyalty rewards, whatever it might be. I refer to it sometimes as, you know, the goal is to be the financial concierge for a consumer where you actually have an ombudsman that's working on your behalf 24-7, trying to figure out where your money should be, where you can take advantage of the best benefits. But going beyond that to say, you know, how in my life can I save money? How in life can I buy the things that are right at the right time? Those kind of things. So that's, that's quite exciting. And, and you know, your growth shows what's happened. When you, when you look at your overall customer base, how would you describe if there's a, a, a traditional demographic group that you serve, if you did a snapshot of your customer base, what's the demographic profile of your customer? It's a very good question because we obviously span all sorts of different uh, demographics, as you can imagine, uh, because we're a, you know, a big financial services provider beyond finance in, uh, in Russia. But if you look at our core, then it's become over the last five or six years, young, urban, mobile, in all sense of the word, mobile professionals. Uh, so we've become the, the, the financial provider of choice for young professionals aged 20 to 35. I would say that's our core, mainly in the big cities, but you know we're, we're all over Russia in, in all regions and the small population centers as well. And, and these are the people who tend to be engaged in the new economy. Their wages are growing, they travel internationally, um, so it's kind of, for want of a better word, middle class of, of, of Russia. But the younger you go down the segments, the more likely um, the customer is to be ours. So, so if they're in, in universities, then they're all, almost certainly in the big cities to be a Tinkoff customer. In your demographic grouping with, with COVID, did you end up also getting some older customers that realized that since digital banking became really the only way to bank, are you starting to get some uh, consumers trending older who have maybe even their their kids have said, you know, you're, you're banking the wrong way. This this is the way you have to do this. We're a disruptor, obviously, um, and we're taking business from, from other players, from all of the other players in financial services, as well as bringing new people into the market. But I can't say that we suddenly stole the show you know, during the pandemic because um, uh, people suddenly switched to Tinkoff. So it's accelerated long-term trends in our favor, for sure. And we've actually, we were growing pretty quickly anyway, but now we've been growing even more quickly. So everything's accelerated. But there's some good competitors in Russia. It's not like, um, you know, everybody else is, is in, in a coma and we just uh, strolled into the room and stole the show. There's a lot going on here. Right. And there's some stiff, stiff competition from the incumbents 
who are actually going through a digital transformation. So I, I take my hat off to them as well. There's, there's a lots going on, so it's not a it's not a walkover. However, we, as I say, have managed to further increase the the rate of growth by bringing more and more customers in and selling more products and services to them once they're in the ecosystem. And actually, youth is is one thing that we've tapped into big time in the last year, year and a half. So we have um, this thing called Tinkoff Junior. I was actually very surprised that recently I looked at the numbers. It's not something I looked at for a, a couple of months. We're up to, um, I think it's three quarters of a million accounts open through Tinkoff Junior. And so they get a mobile app, wow. card, parents can set spending limits and see what the kids are up to. And then when they get to 16 to 18, basically they move over to the, the adult um, yellow uh, mobile app. But it's actually an interesting way of not just bringing in future generations of Tinkoff customers in large numbers, but it's also a way of engaging their, their parents into, into Tinkoff as well. So it's another acquisition channel. You know, I'm really excited. Today I'm announcing that Microsoft has become a brand new Banking Transform podcast sponsor. We're really, really happy to have them on board and excited about the partnership as we grow it going forward. Just for all those who aren't aware of it, Microsoft and its partners are helping banks reinvent payments, combat financial crime, manage risk, empower employees, and deliver a differentiated customer experience across all channels in a digital and physical world. Microsoft's focus is providing services that facilitate a trusted cloud with pervasive intelligence that allows banks to reimagine how they operate and deliver services. If you're a financial institution that is really looking to embrace digital transformation, make your experiences better for your consumers, and to really look forward at how technology, innovation, data, analytics can all work together in the world of digital banking transformation, be sure to check out Microsoft. For more information, visit Microsoft.com slash financial services. In September, it was announced that Yandex, uh, you, we've already talked to them a little bit, it's Russia's largest technology company, had negotiated the acquisition of Tinkoff. Since then, the deal has been dissolved. But there recently has also been talks about an acquisition by another large financial organization. Why is there so much talk about the acquisition of Tinkoff? The first deal that you, you mentioned with Yandex right. was something that unfortunately we didn't get over the line. Uh, but the second was just noise. So there was only one deal that, uh, that the founders of Yandex and Tinkoff were able to start talking about at the beginning of the summer because Yandex uh, was let's say, in bed with the largest state-owned bank in Russia, Sparebank, who I mentioned earlier. Yep. They had a divorce, and therefore, for the first time, Yandex and Tinkoff could actually have a meaningful conversation, which had never taken place before, about some kind of strategic move. We had that conversation, but unfortunately, <laughs> we didn't agree terms, and so so that deal isn't going to happen, and it's not going to happen. Right. There were no other deals on the table. That was the only one that really made sense. It would have uh, created um, a kind of national champion, if you like. But it's not going to happen. And Tinkoff, which has existed, as we said earlier, for 14 years, been growing uh, profitably year, year on year and uh, setting, setting the targets e higher with each uh, year that goes by. We know how to carry on growing profitably and uh, we have some very ambitious targets at 2023, which is what we're communicating to the market now. Um, so we're, 
we're going to have more competition with um, with Yandex. In some areas, we collaborate with other areas we compete. You mentioned it though that the good news is scalability is, is much easier with a digital organization like yours. Your founder has, has mentioned and, and you've mentioned that there's a there's a growth goal of 20 million customers. You have 12 million right now in the not too distant future as well as profitability to go along with that. Is scale something that's important right now? Because you mentioned that the competition in Russia, while many don't understand it, it, it is not only big and aggressive, but but quite digital. I mean, Furbank is certainly an innovative bank in and of themselves. I, I used to run into them quite a bit at innovation shows and things like that nature. So is scale something that Tinkoff really would like to get bigger, faster um, because of the desire to compete and get a, a larger share of the customer base? I do have to say about the Russian market again. So it's a bit unusual. It's followed a different evolutionary path. But when people from Europe and the US and even Asia to a certain extent, when they come to, to Russia, they're completely blown away as to how sophisticated the market is in terms of financial services. And you know, I, I just can't believe it when I go to San Francisco, I used to go to San Francisco, obviously not recently, and, and pay using Magstripe in the airport. It's just uh, amazing to me that there's, there's still Magstripe somewhere because in Russia, we have by number of payments, this, this was true before the pandemic, I assume it's still true now, the largest number of mobile payments in the world. So I'm talking NFC payments through card rails. Uh, so basically Apple Pay and Google Pay and all that kind of thing. That's just, you know, one of the, the numbers that I can throw out, which which would, would surprise people as to how um, sophisticated this market is in terms of services. So there's uh, lots of financial innovation coming from all sorts of different players, including, maybe surprisingly, but not surprising to anybody here who can see what's happening from the larger state-owned banks. But basically with scale, it's essential in an online business to achieve network effects. In payments, you need to have the network effects. In financial services in general, and particularly if it's a, 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 let's say, more of a kind of universal financial services provider as opposed to a niche boutique type player, you need to have size because scale obviously gives you economies of scale. But very importantly, it gives you the word of mouth referrals type of uh, phenomenon, which I was talking about before. So you, you get virality. If you have good service, which gives you good net promoter score, you have high volume customer acquisition channels, you have a good brand, then it means that each successive cohort of customers that comes in, theoretically should be getting cheaper. They certainly shouldn't, shouldn't be getting more expensive. And that's a, a scale related thing. Yeah? Uh, number one. Number two, why it's important for us to, to keep on growing very quickly and actually accelerate our growth is because um, we don't just monetize people on the way in on the product that they, uh, through which they enter the, the ecosystem. Once they're in, we also then sell them other products and services. So this cross-sell effect is extremely important. So uh, not long ago, three, four years ago, we had basically 1.1 1, 1 .1 products per active customer. Now it's 1.4, it's grown a bit this year. In three years' time, it's going to be 1.7, 1.8 products per active customer. We reckon in five years out, it's going to be two products per customer. At the same time as we'll be doubling our customer base. So our ability to monetize customers is absolutely enormous. And that's why we'll be doubling our net income um, over the next three, four years as well. So as you look at the future, how do you vision the future of Tinkoff? And 
What are some of the concepts that you're working on? You've already talked about the AI bank, but but when you're looking at outside services, what we'll call the open banking environment, non-financial, what do you see as being the future of Tinkoff? We're undergoing a bit of an e-commerce boom in, in Russia. So, so on the finance side, we're pretty sophisticated. On the commerce side, we're actually a little bit of a laggard. There are a number of different reasons for that. But now it's, it's going through the roof and uh, we're seeing explosive growth. So Russia will catch up in terms of e-commerce, where it was already ahead in classified finance and, and various other uh, verticals and business models. This gives us all sorts of opportunities to integrate partners. We'll do this through partnerships. We're, we're unlikely to do this through M&A. M&A is not part of our organizational philosophy, if you like. And so, so what does this mean? We're already one of the largest e-commerce uh, partner companies through, through co-brands and payments and that kind of thing. Um, but our ability to, to lend to the partners in marketplaces to finance the growth of their businesses so they can sell more stuff, our ability to finance and provide payment services to the buyers on those marketplaces, so the consumers, so they can buy more stuff from the, from the partners that sell more stuff. As so we get into this virtuous circle, and we'll, we'll be part of the glue of all of that as the e-commerce market grows. So that's one of the uh, the dimensions, if you like, in, in which we'll be growing. The other dimension is just organic growth um, as we bring more and more customers into the ecosystem and engage them through more and more services, we, as we were talking about earlier, and, and the interface part of that AI bank. But also, I think if you look at how the market's going to evolve over the next few years, we're clearly going to have moves from the tech players not just from, um, from, from the financial service providers who are licensed entities themselves. So you're going to see the landscape change really quite quickly. And there'll be all sorts of interesting things happening around regulation in that area and in the business models themselves, which we don't know what it's going to look like, you, you and myself, uh, during this conversation, but it's, it's going to be a space to watch. So when you look outside your own organization. What financial institution do you look at and say, I kind of admire where they're going? And in a non-financial institution way, what what organizations do you look at and say, I like the way they innovate or the way they, they're building their organization, both in the, as I said, in both the financial world and the non-financial world? What, what organizations kind of, I'm not going to say you aspire to what they are, because all these organizations are so different right now, but, but you, you kind of like the way they're growing or they're doing business. So we, we're a very outward-looking organization. We're listed on the London Stock Exchange. We're publicly traded, so, so we have that uh, aspect to us anyway. But we've always, from day one, being a very international organization in, in terms of our outlook. We're like a sponge. We soak up ideas and inspiration from all over the place. So, so we've traveled all over the world, being inspired by all sorts of entrepreneurs and, and interesting businesses. Who stands out for us? Tencent, for sure, for what they did with WeChat. Um, we, we really liked I think everybody likes that. Let's face it. Yeah. We like New Bank. Mm-hmm. David Belles and his team uh, have done an amazing job in Brazil. And that's something which we like maybe somewhat immoderately to think that we had a bit of inspiration the other way around. So so David came here to, to see Tinkoff back in uh, 2011 and uh, got a few ideas, which he then obviously adapted and, and, uh, and has built an amazing business in Brazil. And we like the philosophy of how New Bank's growing. So it's... Um, and not just a liabilities-led strategy, it's a, a lending strategy as well, right. which means that they can monetize and uh, and not have some of the issues that, that other fintechs, particularly in Europe, are, are facing now because they've got no revenue model. Uh, so we, we like that. 
um, because we believe that right. you know in financial services to have a successful business uh, that is safe to take deposits and and be the custodian of the money of people who are depositing in that institution you have to make money you have to be financially viable you can't close your eyes and pray and hope that it all comes together at some point because it might not <laughs> so it's not very really, not very really sustainable yep. we like yep. that um, we like stone we like XP obviously Brazilian names coming out here yeah I like Oak North in the UK. Uh, the uh, it's not an SME lender; yeah. it's an ME lender, I would say. Um, but they've yep. done some interesting yep. stuff, and we, we've got a long list of, of likes and all sorts of names that we we follow. Root, for example, insurer. Tons of interesting stuff going on around the world at the moment. You know, when I got out of the continental United States, looking at banking and, and looked beyond that, it was interesting how Eastern Europe at the time and, and Russia were just so dynamically more innovative. But it, it, a lot of it was because you didn't have as much to tear down. I mean, we you had these legacy mentalities, legacy banking systems, legacy regulatory bodies and everything else. And, and it's interesting to see how much innovation still goes on in, in Poland, Czechoslovakia, Turkey, in Russia. And then you now more and more you see it. We saw it in, in Africa and now a lot of it in South America. And there's a lot of unbanked consumers. So really, the digital banking environment really plays to them very well because you don't have the infrastructure cost and and the cost to serve is so much more reasonable for a, a we bank or for yourself and all because you don't have all these branches and all this legacy thinking to worry about. But, you know, you, you've been with the organization for a long time and you're a very innovative and progressive organization. So finally, what motivates you personally? to just get up and just keep going every day, even if it's something outside or inside. You as a person, what, what gets your, your adrenaline running to just keep on going? I mean, it's, it's interesting because you see this in entrepreneurs, you see this in progressive fintech companies, the owners, the, the people that are the, the leadership role really are defined by their passion for the business. But the passion comes not always from just the internal organization. It comes from, sometimes from outside situations. So what, what keeps you going? I think it's three things. So the first is obviously the impact that I can make, that the team can make, that we can make as Tinkoff on the financial sector, on customers, on consumers every day. So we take out the pain points, we come with new approaches and solutions which help them live their lives better. Now, I don't, don't want it to sound too highty-flighty, you know, but, uh, but it's true. No. Um, and so we've made... Yeah. We didn't set out to make a, a big impact on, on the financial landscape, to be honest with you. It's just something that kind of happened over time. But when you realize that you are making an impact and you're making a positive impact on consumers, it's something you get a real buzz from. And I, I love it. And all of us do. You know, we're very, very proud of it. And, uh, and it's something that um, definitely gets us going for, for the day ahead, sometimes the night ahead as well, <laughs> especially in the pandemic. <laughs> the, the, the second thing is, so what I do is basically create the environment in which our big team can go and do interesting things. They'll go and build innovative solutions. They go and test and learn something and, and find um, a, an interesting way of doing things that hasn't been done before. That innovations and scale up and you realize it's having an impact. So, so the fact that I can help a large bunch of people, really creative people, young, talented people, do stuff that then makes an impact on society is also uh, something that helps me get up in the morning with the uh, you know, added vigor. Yeah. Um, another third thing is that I've got a Puritan work ethic from the north of England. <laughs> you have to keep, you know, thousands upon thousands, tens of thousands of people motivated also. 
And they look to the leadership and in both the positive and negative way. You know, the, I think about the legacy banking environment. I'm, I'm going, I interview some people. And I go, geez, oh, man, I, you know, that you get the feeling that they're in, in parties at times or someplace saying, geez, I just wish I wasn't doing this. You go, oh, then stop. But the impact that fintech companies are making right now and, and beyond just the financial wherewithal, but especially became evident during COVID that there's a real need for the ability to, to inexpensively get better financially. Um, and some of that, as you mentioned throughout the conversation around education, around content and, and things beyond just the transactions, the, the debits and credits of the world. You're, you're certainly no longer a credit card bank. Um, it's gone far beyond that, but it, it's been great spending some time with you today, Allery, and, and really appreciate you taking the time to discuss a little bit about what's happening in Tinkoff, as well as what's happening in Russia. It's it's something that we're certainly going to revisit again because you're 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 evolving and transforming over time. So thank you very much for being on the show today. Very interesting. Thank you. Thank you. You know what an interesting interview with Oliver Hughes from Tinkoff. Um, it's interesting because. Not many of us imagine what is going on in Russia, just like not many of us understand exactly what's going on in China with the, the fintech organization and the challenger banks. But Tinkoff is really unique in that the breadth of their service offering is extraordinary and their ability to continue to innovate and do things that most organizations are just dreaming of. Thanks for listening to Banking Transformed. Rated as a top five banking podcast on Apple. If you enjoy what we're doing, please be sure to subscribe to Banking Transform on your favorite podcast app. In addition, please take a few moments to give us a positive review. It lets us know how we're doing, and it certainly gives us the springboard for bringing in more world-class guests to the show. Finally, be sure to catch my articles on the financial brand and look for our new research on financial marketing, retail banking innovation, data and the effect on customer experience, and the future of work. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A big thank you to our producer, Leah Longbreak, and audio engineer, Sean Rohlhoffman. Until next time, make sure each day is a learning experience. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.